we come to the consideration of chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, in our Bible lessons from the first epistle of John. This section might be entitled, Christianity, a life, not an isolated standing of some sort. Here we read these words, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Some appear to have the idea that Christianity is free from the commandment relation to God. Now a commandment is simply a verbal expression of proper action in a given situation. We may be sure that all commandments from God proceed from perfect intelligence and are therefore in no sense arbitrary. We shall see from the consideration of this passage and several other passages in this interesting epistle that so far forth from Christianity being an absence of obedience to commandments, it is a profound continuation in happy submission to God with a disposition of heart that seeks out to do the will of God, or which is happy to understand what God wants that soul to do. Among the members of the Blessed Trinity of the Godhead, there is a headship on the part of the Father, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, in these words, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So here we have the foundation that Christ also is under commandment to the Father. And this is a happy, loving submission, we may be sure. The New Testament in particular reveals the equal deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the equal deity of the Holy Spirit. The Blessed Trinity is a subject of pure biblical revelation. We could never discover it from the evidences of creation and all the profound things that surround us. But as we come to the Bible, we learn of this profound, heavenly, eternal relationship of the members of the Godhead. In chapter 12 of John's Gospel, verses 49 and 50, we read these words from our blessed Lord. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father saith unto me, so I speak. Also chapter 14 of John and verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Also chapter 15 and verse 10. 
If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Here we see that obedience of Christ to the wish of the Father is a condition of abiding in the Father's love. In the 17th chapter of this blessed Gospel of John, the wonderful heavenly relation of the members of the Trinity is portrayed. But here we set forth the fact that the Lord Jesus was under commandment in his life. Man also must maintain an attitude of submission, yieldedness, or obedience to God as a condition of all relationship with God. No other position can possibly be intellectually defended. In the beginning, man had the principle of obedience in his heart and did not require any verbal description as to his conduct. But having lost this wonderful relationship of heart to God by his refusal to remain in a state of happy submission, God had to reveal verbal commandments to man to bring man back to understand his obligation to God and man. We have this principle summarized in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy and verses 12 to 13, where we have these words. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? This is a wonderful summary, is it not? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Moses is summarizing his dealings under God with the children of Israel. And so we here see the reasonableness of God's requirements of man. We should note particularly that the commandments given to man were for man's good. Many times it is inferred that God has given commandments to man not to obey them, but to bring him under discomfiture and condemnation. But such is not the case. It is impossible that man can ever have a relation to God apart from an intelligent submission to God. And certainly this submission involves a desire on the part of man to receive from his great creator and benefactor instructions as to how he ought to conduct his life. And certainly no other position can be maintained. In the 20th chapter of Exodus, verses 1 to 17, we have an account of the Ten Commandments which summarize man's conduct toward God and man. Certainly, these commandments did not originate in the will of God only as far as their expression is concerned. They originate in the intelligence of God. God is merely expressing verbally those principles of relationship between man and himself and between man and man that alone can bring happiness to all involved. In this 20th chapter, 
we have the account of the Ten Commandments, and we notice that the first four commandments related to man's relation to God, and the last six commandments related to man's relation to his fellow men. Without taking time to read these commandments, we might summarize them thus. The first commandment forbids every form of mental idolatry. The second prohibits the making and worshiping of images of any sort. The third is against false swearing, blasphemy, and the irreverent use of the name of God. The fourth is against profanation of the Sabbath and against idleness. The fifth declares the necessity of honoring our fathers and our mothers. The sixth is against murder, the seventh against adultery, the eighth against stealing, the ninth against false witness of all sort, and the tenth against covetousness. Thus we have summarized the obligation that man has toward God and toward his fellow men. From the 24th chapter of Exodus and verse 3, it is evident that the people considered God's commandments reasonable, and that they were able to obey them. We read these words, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. So here is a plain recognition of the reasonableness of God's requirements, and the acceptance of the fact that they were for their good, and that God was bestowing upon them a loving direction for their lives. The Lord Jesus, in his teaching, summarized the Ten Commandments in two great groups of commandments. We have in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, these words. Uh, one came, a lawyer, tempting him, we read, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Notice in passing that the commandments of God are reasonable. They do not tell us to love the Lord with powers which we do not possess but that we are to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, or with all our facilities, or with all our powers, not with our neighbor's powers, nor with someone who is far more advanced in various ways than we are. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Then the Lord summarizes thus, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We also have this similar account in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. Thus we have the Ten Commandments reduced to two. But the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, reduces the Ten Commandments further than two into one word, love. In Romans 13, 8 to 10, we read these words. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, 
Thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Also in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, we read, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thus we have the commandments of God as a reasonable description of man's attitude and conduct toward God, which alone can guarantee the happiness of all concerned. We have the Ten Commandments summarizing this obligation. We have the Lord Jesus reducing them to two great categories, a right relation to God and a right relation to our fellow men. We have the Apostle by inspiration reducing them to an attitude of love. In our next consideration, we shall enlarge further on the impossibility of a Christian relation to God that is not a life in an attitude and a disposition of love. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the reasonableness of thy precious word, the Bible, and how thou dost set before us our obligation and duty. We pray that many may see this reasonableness and turn from all sin and through faith in the death of Christ be reconciled to thee and live this happy Christian life by the grace of God. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.